I'm Christy Gupton, and I'm an Employee Benefits Advisor. Welcome to Healthcare Solutions, a podcast where we explore innovations in healthcare, cost containment strategies, and employee well-being. We'll discuss every way possible to turn our healthcare system back into the kind of environment where patient care comes first and costs go down as a result. I invite you to join me to hashtag Let's Fix Healthcare. Today's episode features Carl Schusler, founder of Mitigate Partners and creator of the Fair Cost Health Plan. Currently in America, rural health is in jeopardy. Small community hospitals and health centers are closing all around us, but Carl is on a mission to help them create a brighter future for themselves. And thank goodness he is, because they're a very important part of community health care. Listen here as Carl, my friend and very good colleague, talks about how he is helping a small Florida hospital remake itself from the inside out. In last week's episode, we not only save the health plan, the hospital, more money, the member also gets 50% of that savings to offset any cost they have. And we have a very rich benefit plan, so there's not a lot out of pocket for them, but there is some out of pocket. Mm -hmm. So they benefit. The employer saves a lot of money, uh, obviously, from it. They like it. They're better off. And our cost and quality company doing the cash transaction, they get paid a fee. So all three parties' um, goals or, to- or interest are totally aligned, which never happens in healthcare. Yeah. It's the misalignment's the big problem. And there is no balanced billing to the member. Now for more with Carl Schusler. So with a community with a per capita um, annual income of around 25000 you just saved that member um, from you know, essentially having to clean out their savings account. Max just, their out-of-pocket Right, just to pay their out-of-pocket expense. I mean, that's just huge. We could have a whole podcast just on that fact right there, just the, the whole issue of the social determinants of health that everybody loves to talk about, you know, having a median income uh, in this country with a uh, maximum out of pocket that you you know that you can have on these affordable care act plans um, th- that's a recipe for bankruptcy and you just came and took that right off the table well yeah thanks we 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 are real excited about what we're doing the hospital is real excited and chris the biggest challenges that we were having is you know in designing this program for the hospital is if the people, if the employees go to their to this hospital they work at, then we really had no barriers to care there. We didn't have deductibles. We didn't mm-hmm. have out-of-pocket maxes. It's covered 100% because mm-hmm. the hospital's basically putting the money in one pocket and out the other, mm-hmm. right? It's their hospital. So we took care of that. Then we had what we called a friends and family uh, a piece to it as well, and that was the next option. So, of the friends and family hospitals we identified that we could work direct contracts with, we then allowed them to go there with a little bit of out of pocket, mm-hmm. okay? And then any we couldn't identify in the friends and family, which there have been many, uh, or if you're traveling to Morganton, North Carolina, or obviously anywhere. they're not in the friends and family yeah. network. Uh, certainly, Atrium's not. <laughs> So, um, but anyway, those then have a little higher out of pocket, Mm -hmm. but they can still go there. 
Sure. So we've given them 100% freedom to go anywhere in the world. They want to go to Mayo Clinic. They want to go to, you know, um, Cleveland Clinic. Go wherever they want. Yeah. So we've restrict, we've removed all barriers to care at a very low entry point, but there's different dollar values of place with those three choices that right. can make. And was the magic sauce that you got rid of the networks first? Well, I think we, 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 the magic sauce was we employed what you've heard me say forever, active management principles. Right, right. That was a very passively managed program uh, under UMR's watch mm-hmm. and not good advice from their brokers they were working with. And we came in there and showed them a way to turn it around, to be an active manager of their risk with all the right tools. The Fair Cost Health Plan has all these ingrained in it, along with our guidance of it. So it was disintermediating the, the PBM, making them their own PBM. It was the direct primary care. It was getting rid of UMR, United Healthcare, and getting rid of them and doing our own contracts and our own method methodologies to you know, save money. So, yeah, I mean, that, that, there were a lot of money saved there, but we hope the ongoing risk of the population is going to nothing but improve from the, you know, the, the um, tools that we've put in. I want to say one other thing, too, that can't forget. Because they were a DISH hospital, they do have 340B eligibility to be able to do that. So our goal is to take their program, now that they're their own PBM, and offer that pricing to the employers. Mm-hmm. So we have an employer client, uh, you know, there's been certainly was featured in the ProPublic article, that great article Marshall wrote um, a couple of weeks ago about how the, the, the hidden curtain, behind the curtain, the brokers, right. et cetera. And that client, you know, we have a couple of folks there that take Humero. Mm-hmm. That's four grand a pop, you know, a month. 340B pricing for Humero is a penny. Really? Yeah. So we're not. I don't. We're not going to let it go at a penny. Of course not. But the hospital will make some money there. But they want to be able to share that savings with the community. Right. So any employers that are self-funded, um, you know, as far as way, I, I don't know all the rules totally per se. But you know, say we have an employer in Fort Myers, or say we have an employee in Tampa, they can get down there and be under under the guidance of a physician and potentially get the 340B pricing, which saves all the employer's money. And again, we now are keeping more dollars in that community. So you can outreach that and grow the program that way. So basically what you're saying is that if you're a small community hospital, you could become your own PBM and provide the prescription drug benefit, not just to your employees, but to the greater community. Tell the smaller hospitals out there that might be listening what they're missing out on. Sure, good question. Um, By doing a 340B program, and Chrissy, the way that's classified as how you, if you're able to get 340B, is you're either a critical access hospital, less than 25 beds, or you're a dish hospital, we talked about our disproportionate share, and you have a certain percentage of your population that uses the hospital that's Medicaid and so forth. So that's the first step. But the biggest thing I think that the brokers community misses out on is they don't know all of this stuff, and they also don't know that you can make the hospital their own PBM. They also don't know how 340B could be a revenue opportunity for that actual hospital. And if we're trying to save rural health care, we need to keep as many revenues coming to that local hospital as we can. 
And this is a way for them to help save employers and surrounding communities money and for them to have a little bit of money as well. And they're providing a great service. Mm -hmm. So um, it's something that there's just not a lot of people that know this kind of thing because they haven't gotten in the weeds. You know, they're too busy out selling. But that that is a, a great tool and a great way to help that community grow and bring more business to the community and, and bring more revenue to the hospital. A lot of what we're trying to do is about putting, uh, like my client that's down the street, into a direct contract with the hospital. Things like that that we can do to prop up this hospital. They did a, thanks to Lee Gross, this was last um, last February, I think, last winter, spring in 18, Lee was able, to, they were able to get a doctor from Sarasota to come down, which is about an hour and a half away, come down, do a hip replacement in the actual hospital, in, in, in the newer beds and rooms in the hospital more look like a Ritz-Carlton. They're very nice in this small, tiny community hospital. I think it has 49 beds. Mm-hmm. But they were able to bring the doctor from Sarasota to do this specialized hip replacement. Nice. It's like bring, medical and, tourism where you don't have to go anywhere. Right. <laughs> and Lee brought the patient there because and Lee was in a, a town a little further away from here. And then, of course, he's open to practice up right on the hospital grounds. Um, but uh, they did that, and the the cost was 25000 all in bundled. That was it. The interesting thing, Christy, and you know this story, but we were with a school system about 45 minutes away. Um, I've told you a hundred times about the story <laughs> with the frustration, but the, uh, the uh, hospital CEO of this hospital, we had to attend that meeting. It was in front of the school board. And uh, I'll never forget, I put the prices up for knee replacement. And their local hospital, which is part of a cartel hospital group down in Florida called <laughs> Florida Hospital, owned by Adventist Health System, but it's it, it was $65,000 right there mm. in that school board's backyard when they could have gone 45 minutes for $25,000. And, of course, they had no idea right. about that. So that's other things we're doing to bring business to the hospital. And it's just a matter of time before you start to make it obvious to your new client that they have they have some things to cheer about. They have a, a variety of services that they can provide to their greater community and even reach out maybe beyond their immediate community to some cities just down the road where, you know, they can exceed the quality standards of their competitors and um, drill down on the price. And, and, and over time with all kinds of different innovations that I'm sure that they'll invest in, especially after they see some of these new revenues from the 340B program or from, you know, all the the greater um, uh, protocols that you're setting up that are going to pay off in due time. You know, they're, they're just going to be such in such a better place shortly down the road than they were a year before they hired you. So I think that's um, I think that's a really impressive story to tell. I think what also needs to be said, Christy, is the hospital management, the CEO, the CFO, and and the HR director were significant in adopting this. It took a long time. We we were not hired. It wasn't quite a year, but they really 
finally pushed it, made a change, a relationship, 10-plus-year relationship, which is so difficult. It's not easy to do. To, to do. They saw the opportunity, and I think the it, what I would say to anyone when you're dealing with these community hospitals is you have to have good, strong leadership from within that wants to do this and is willing to do this and sort of approach this as a community health plan or as you know you heard me say neighborhood health care mm-hmm. taking it kind of back the days of Marcus Welby MD if any of you guys know who that is y'all are as old as I am <laughs> but uh for you young millennials y'all don't know who that is but uh anyway and it's it's about they can the, look it up on YouTube <laughs> <laughs> it's about the relocalizing of health care and the repersonalization of the health care and as I like to say kind of the definition of neighborhood health care is really what we did here is uh, kind of in summary is, you know, by eliminating the counterproductive communication barriers inherent in the more traditional insurance employer health and uh, provider relationships can lead to more effective and less costly outcomes for community health plans while providing better protections for the employees and enhancing the pharmacists, physicians, and hospitals' ability to engage the community it serves. And that really, in, in summary, is what we've done here with the support of the hospital a, and the community. It's a perfect description of this quadruple aim that so many people talk about. I mean, talked about the triple aim for a long time, but people were forgetting that there's a provider relationship in there and the providers were getting run down, beat down by the system totally overworked and underpaid and so when you add that fourth aim that quadruple aim the provider has a new sense of passion and a new sense of um you know um role the the new role that they play in this different environment that fulfills them as a provider and it it can't do anything but good to to the overall love triangle maybe if you're you're adding the quadruple aim in there maybe it's maybe it's a love uh square after you add that quadruple part but um i think that's really super um what you mentioned having leadership and a a set of executives that really saw that there were not only issues that needed to be solved but maybe they were looking down the road and seeing uh, turmoil in their future right so what would you say to the C suite in any organization, whether it's a community hospital like what you're working with or really any uh, any organization, what would you say to that C-suite group that they need to be looking for, they need to be asking a certain set of questions? Because we have all had to have this epiphany, right, where we realized the status quo healthcare is something that duped us, right? We, we didn't understand that 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 was a system that was set up for failure. It was really set up so that the system would profit, not the people that it was supposed to serve. So what's your advice to the C-suite? What kind of questions do they need to be asking? How, what do they need to be looking at? Go from there. Okay. You're talking about a C-suite and just a traditional employer? Anything. Yeah. I think the discussion with a traditional employer, that's obviously not a hospital, would be, um, I think you have to talk of, in terms of EBITDA. What does it do in, in terms of, of that? How does it influence the cash flow? What kind of difference does it make? Speak in terms of 
what how, how much more in sales do they have to generate to be able to get this kind of money back in savings and mm-hmm. it's it's substantial so you're, you're if the company's ever going to sell you're making a huge impact on EBITDA and they sell multiples of EBITDA and so that helps so I think you have to have a financial discussion with a traditional employer the hospital with a hospital I think it's the same discussion but a little different in that you you can actually bring sources of revenue to a hospital that's different than an employer because they're in the healthcare business. Mm-hmm. So there are ways to bring business to the hospital and help them improve their cash flow with multiple streams of revenue coming to them that they might not have been taken advantage of and doing more steerage. Mm-hmm. And it, like you said earlier, a medical tourism play for certain things right? Um, to come down. And, and you know, I, I, I just think that, uh, you know, we talked about the six opportunities in healthcare many times. You heard me do that. Todd did it at your thing last uh, January when you did your opioid forum in North Carolina. Um, it, those are where you have to make the hay. And you, you've got, you know, the cartel, you've got, um, the lack of transparency, medical billing errors, uh, traditional PPO discount game, pharmaceutical shell game, and then lack of information and data. And those six uh, or those six flaws in the system are opportunities for employers to save money. And you just have to knock down which ones they want to knock down. But I think the biggest thing is you've got to eliminate the cartel. And I know everybody that knows me knows <laughs> I say the cartel all the time. And somebody goes, we want you to do your cartel talk. I hope there's a lot more of the talk <laughs> than the cartel. But, I mean, it is what it is. Right. And I want to say one, one or two things very quickly that get me real fired up. Our mutual friend Marilyn Bartlett had taught, taught me this and, and, and really opened my eyes. But, you know, United Healthcare. You know, a couple of years ago it was number seven in the Fortune 500. They're all the way to number five, and I haven't looked at where they are in 19. They own 686 companies. One of those is Optum, mm-hmm. the PBM, the, one of the top three PBMs in the country. And Optum owns 292 companies. Optum Whoa. owns over 50,000 physicians. Wow. What are they all setting themselves up for here? Everybody needs to pay attention. And it's obviously, I, we think, trying to head to a single payer. So they own that market. But they're a behemoth. And anyone that doesn't think that's a cartel optim, I think, three weeks ago passed a, surpassed $100 billion in revenue. That, that is the difference. This hospital is going to save 375000 we hope, off a spend of $438,000. And that's taking that money from that community that should be in that community. That's right. And it's all these middle people. And everyone's asleep at the wheel, and y'all know, you know how fired up I get about this subject. <laughs> but this is ridiculous, and people don't, these employers don't know this, and most of them don't care, you know, until the pain is great enough. You know, what is so astute about what you've just pointed out, every millennial voter who is advocating for Medicare for all, you know, every, every little young Democrat not, not, I'm not taking a partisan side here, but all of the young people who, you know, are probably yearning for Bernie Sanders to make it back on the ticket, don't realize that single payer isn't going to be administered by the government. It's going to be administered by some big, huge public company like Optum or United Healthcare or, or any of them that already have a huge market share. I mean, the Medicaid 
programs in almost all the states are already administered by insurance companies. Good point. So if, if these young voters who want a Medicare for All bill to come to pass uh, just because they think it'll make health care free um, and it'll be, you know, fair for all and, and uh, you know, the, the, it'll, be the, it'll be the government's plan, the people's plan, I think that's a fallacy that they don't realize um, can never come true, not in our, not in our environment. And, and what you've done, though, I, I love that Marcus Welby imagery because um, I've said it on, on a couple of occasions, this social experiment that we've been on for the last 50 years with managed care, where a big insurance company is um, mandating how your health care is supposed to go, um, it has truly changed the culture of, and we've changed our um, philosophy of what healthcare is. So that now, most of us that are either my age or younger are confused about where healthcare actually comes from. You think if they they think if their employer comes uh, to open enrollment and says we're going to change insurance companies, all of a sudden that means their healthcare is changing. That's not true. So this social experiment that we've been on for 50 years is going to take a long time to undo a lot of that brainwashing, but you've already started it down, you know, in Florida with this project you're working on, and I think that I'm really going to be excited to come back and do a sequel with you uh, when you're um, a year or two removed from the start of this project so you can you can... We can have the I told you so episode, right? I hope. <laughs> we hope. I think you will because you've already started to see some um, progress being made. Like you already you already cashed um, in on some savings on the stop loss. You're all, you've already made headway on a number of other items. And I know with, with the way you do things um, as as into the weeds and up to your eyeballs in um, involvement here, I know nothing's going to get by you um, the way it was getting by everybody else that was involved. Well, thanks. We I want to say one or two other things, too, I think it's interesting. First off, um, one of our Mitigate partners that was involved with us is Barry Murphy, so I want to thank him. He's had a very active role in all of this as well. It's really been he and I tackling this issue with the hospital. And then the other thing I want to say, one of our mutual friends, Frank Mike Droppa, <laughs> uh, Chris Yarn with the Walk-On Clinic, he has had made some interesting points re- recently, and I don't know if you've called him or seen him, but he said, you know, what if we went and interviewed some of your clients who may have no deductibles, may not have any barriers to care? If you went and asked them if they wanted single-payer, how many of them would say they wanted single payer? I why would you want that when what you have is the best of both worlds? It just took a smart advisor and an employer with some courage. I'm going to coin this phrase. If someone steals it off this podcast, I'm going to be very upset, but I'm I'm going to trademark this phrase. All it takes is a good advisor and a little courage. I've I've put like that, that out there a hundred times. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. Because isn't it true though? Absolutely. What you're the combination of what you're accomplishing in Florida is because there was a good advisor and some leaders down there with a little courage. Well said. I, and I think what what Frank said that I think is so important 
is if you think about that question and you went around to all employers out there who have got a $6,000 deductible and whatnot, there would be a lot of people crowing and screaming for a single-payer system. But companies like the Rosen Hotels Mm -hmm. and great advisors down like Carolyn Grant and the things that Rosen Hotel and Mr. Rosen has done and obviously been featured everywhere and everybody knows about that free college educations for their employees. What employee in that organization, as Frank always says, would vote for single payer? What employer of any of our clients that you know about why would they ever vote for that? I think that's a real interesting thought that Frank came up with to really think about that, to what you're doing, and maybe pose a question like that with a prospect. Exactly. You know, what if you could do this? And that's the other thing, Christian, you know this, the benefits that we're putting in place are 800 times better than anything they've had, and they're still saving money. Because, again, it's disintermediating the system and eliminating the counterproductive barriers. Mm -hmm. And getting back to taking care of people on a local level the way it started back in Marcus Welby times. Um, I think that's that's real important. And it's it's, it's possible, and these things are absolutely possible, and they're not unique and different. They're happening. As you said, and you know what I've always said, that... Um, I always refer back to uh, the Great Outdoors movie with John Candy and Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> yeah. I remember Dan Aykroyd was, I think his name was Roman in the movie, and he was a slick stockbroker from Chicago <laughs> who, you know, was always dressed to the nines, and he, they rented a boat that they were going to ski behind, and it had, like, jets out the back. <laughs> so uh, John Candy's in the back getting ready to ski, and he hits the, uh, uh, Dan Aykroyd hits the pedal of the metal, and all of a sudden, John Candy's barefoot skiing, going over ramps and all this, this lake, <laughs> looking like he knows what he's doing. Everybody's watching. Well, when, an, when you work with an advisor like myself or you, that's you. You're getting pulled all over the lake because we're leading. Mm-hmm. We're leading. We're finding these solutions and we're implementing them. There's no hold back. Some of the other, some of our other fellow Rosetta advisors and other advisors are slow to adopt things. You gotta get over the fear and let the client know there's upsides and downsides to everything. But it's our job to lead them. Mm-hmm. One of my clients said, "What I always liked about you, Carl, is you always." share with us all the solutions, and then help assist us in making the best decision. If you don't share the solutions, they're never going to know about them. And a lot of people keep these solutions off to the side. I've had several people go, Carl, instead of doing fair cost health plan, why don't you just put two solutions a year in and you keep the client for eight years? Well, why not put them all in if you can help save them money today? How much money they lose over eight years? I know. So it's thinking defensively and trying to think about being a broker instead of an advisor. So do you want an advisor that's going to pull you around, or do you, want an, do you want an advisor where you're pushing a rope? Right. And that's what it boils down to. So I've always liked that tagline you have. Well, like uh, Dave Chase said, was the reason why he co-founded the Health Rosetta was that he found out that health care is already fixed. It's just fixed in small pockets of the country where innovators have broken up the status quo and decided to do something new. Um, and, it, and the reason he wanted the Health Rosetta to succeed is because we just needed to replicate those fixes. And so I think that um, you're a shining example of what the Health Rosetta was meant to be all along. So um, here's, here's something I would like to come back in several months 
and I, and I want you to have some answers for me on uh, this particular subject. Um, I mentioned this in episode three of my podcast where I interviewed David Contorno, and he talked about um, this issue where hospitals are having to chase around patients for their portion of their out-of-pocket. And very few times do they actually get that out of those patients. 7% so they're, or yeah, less. They're having to write off bad debt, and not bad debt for people on government programs either. They're having to write off bad debt for people that have health insurance. I'd love to know, with your hospital client, how much chasing around they were having to do before they hired you, guys, I'm sure they have statistics on this, but fast forward a couple years down the road, so go ahead and put them on alert that you want to track this, and as they start bringing in customers from other employers around the community and in the outlying communities, how that chasing around uh, is reduced because neighborhood health care has taken effect and removing the barriers to maybe no deductibles to anything mm-hmm. that also puts you in a, in a bargaining position with a hospital that they don't have to go out and chase the where they only collect seven percent anyway yeah. now you're coming to a hospital with mm-hmm. employee owns owes no money that's right all these people mostly big mammoth hospital systems that are screaming bloody murder especially in my state in north carolina where reference-based pricing is the um, you know, it's just it's just what all of the hospitals are crying a river about right now. If they would just consider the fact that they're wasting their time chasing people around for a thousand dollars here, five thousand dollars there, ten thousand dollars in other places, when they could have accepted um, a very good reference point that still has them at a profit but that they didn't have to turn around and clean out their patients' savings accounts just because they were part of some ridiculous network. Right. Well said. Well, this has been a fun discussion. Um, Definitely put me on your calendar for about 12, 18 months from now, and uh, let's talk about outcomes. Let's talk about how um, your hospital client is sitting so much prettier then than even it is now, and definitely prettier than it was a year before they brought you on board. Well, I appreciate you having me on, Christy. It's been great to be here. You've done a great job with these podcasts. They're they're well done, and, and there's a lot of good information. Hopefully, uh, some of this passion and energy wasn't too disjointed, and <laughs> everyone can get something out of it. But I appreciate you having me on, and I appreciate all the great work you're doing. Well, out, out and with your clients and what you're trying to do in your community. Hey, it's you don't know what you don't know, right? So my ambition with this podcast is just to let people know that these things are possible, and it's people like you that are out there doing it in even rural, uh, poor communities that just need a hand up right? They don't need a hand out. They just need a hand up. And you've brought the, the moving parts together. Um, and uh, they, they are going to be the beneficiary of your brain power. We hope. <laughs> All right. Thanks. And uh, we'll see you again soon.
Thank you for joining our important discussion as we attempt to hashtag Let's Fix Healthcare. Please subscribe to our podcast and let us know what you think. For more information on the work we do at Custom Benefit Solutions, visit our website at www.custombenefits.org.